Welcome to the Dead Author Society. Frank Herbert, February 11th, 1986. Rest in peace. Children of Dune Chapter 8 Varadin was acutely conscious of a sour spice smell from the old man. It emanated from the long gray robe which covered his body. Is that mask truly a part of your flesh? Varadin asked, realizing he was trying to delay the subject of dreams. While I wear it, the old man said, and his voice carried a bitter twang. Just a suggestion from an accent. Your dream, he said. Tell me. Faradin shrugged. Why not? That was why Tyke brought the old man. What was it? Dad gripped Faradin and he asked. Are you truly a practitioner of Neuromancy? I have come to interpret your dream, puissant lord. Again, Varadin shrugged. This masked figure made him nervous. He glanced at Tychonic, who remained where he had stopped, arms folded, staring at the fountain. Your dream, then. The old man pressed. Varadin inhaled deeply, began to relate the dream. It became easier to talk as he got fully into it. He told about the water flowing upward in the well, about the worlds which were atoms dancing in his head, about the snake which transformed itself into a sandworm and exploded in a cloud of dust. Telling about the snake, he was surprised to discover it required more effort. Terrible reluctance inhibited him, and this made him angry as he spoke. The old man remained impassive as Faradin at last fell silent. The black gauze mask moved slightly to his breathing. Faradin waited. The silence continued. Presently, Faradin asked, are you going to interpret my dream? I have interpreted it, he said, his voice seeming to come from a long distance. Well, Faradin heard his own voice squeaking, telling him the tension his dream had produced. Still, the old man remained impassively silent. Tell me then! The anger was obvious in his tone. I said I'd interpret, the old man said. I did not agree to tell you my interpretation. Even Tychonic was moved by this, dropping his arms to bald fists at his side. What? He grated. I did not say I'd reveal my interpretation. The old man said. 
you wish more pay? Varadin asked. I do not ask pay when I was brought here. A certain cold pride in the response softened Varadin's anger. This was a brave man, at any rate. You must know death could follow disobedience. Allow me, my prince. Tygenic said as Varadin started to speak then. Will you tell us why you won't reveal your interpretation? Yes, my lords. The dreams tell me there would be no purpose in explaining these things. Varadin could not contain himself. Are you saying I already know the meaning of my dream? Perhaps you do, my lord. But that is not my gist. Tarkinik moved up to stand beside Varadin. Both glared at the old man. Explain yourself, Tarkinik said. Indeed, Varadin said. If I were to speak of this dream, to explore these matters of water and dust, snakes and worms to analyze the atoms which dance in your head as they do in mine. Ah, puissant lord, my words would only confuse you, and you would insist upon misunderstanding. Do you fear that your words might anger me? Varadin demanded. My lord, you're already angry. Is it that you don't trust us? Tykenik asked. That is very close to the mark, my lord. I do not trust either of you. And for the simple reason that you do not trust yourselves. You walk dangerously close to the edge, Tykenik said. Men have been killed for behavior less abusive than yours. Braddon nodded, said, Don't tempt us to anger. The fatal consequences of Carino anger are well known, my lord of Seleucus Secundus, the old man said. Tarkinik, put a restraining hand on Braddon's arm, asked, Are you trying to goad us into killing you? Braddon had not thought of that. Felt a chill now, as he considered what such behavior might mean. Was this old man who called himself preacher? Was he more than he appeared? What might be the consequences of his death? Martyrs could be dangerous creations. I doubt that you'll kill me no matter what I say, the preacher said. I think you know my value, Bashar, and your prince now suspects it. You absolutely refuse to interpret his dream, Tykenik asked. I have interpreted it, and you will not reveal what you see in it. Do you blame me, my lord? How can you be valuable to me? Varadin asked. The preacher held out his right hand. If I but beckon with this hand, 
Duncan Idaho will come to me. And he will obey me. What idle boast is this? Faradin asked. But Tygenic shook his head, recalling his argument with Winsitia. He said, My prince, it could be true. This preacher has many followers on Dune. Why didn't you tell me he was from that place? Faradin asked. Before Tygenic could answer, the preacher addressed Faradin. My lord, you must not feel guilty about Arrakis. You are but a product of your times. This is a special pleading which any man may make when his guilts assail him. Guilts! Faradin was outraged. The preacher only shrugged. Oddly, it shifted Faradin from outrage to amusement. <laughs> He laughed, throwing his head back, drawing a startled glance from Tygenic, then. I like you, preacher. This gratifies me, prince, the old man said. Suppressing a chuckle, Faradin said, <laughs> We'll find you an apartment here in the palace. You will be my official interpreter of dreams, even though you... Never give me a word of interpretation, and you can advise me about Dune. I have a great curiosity about that place. This I cannot do, Prince. An edge of his anger returned. Varadin glared at the black mask. And why not? Pray tell. My prince, Tychonic said, again touching Varadin's arm. What is it, Tyke? We brought him here under bonded agreement with the guild. He is to be returned to Dune. I am summoned back to Arrakis, the preacher said. Who summons you? Varadin demanded. Power greater than thine, Prince. Paradin shot a questioning glance at Tychonic. Is he in a treaty spy? Not likely, my Prince. Alia has put a price on his head. If that's not the Atreides, then who summons you? Paradin asked, turning his attention to the preacher. A power greater than the Atreides. Uh, a chuckle escaped Faradin. This was only mystic nonsense. How could Tyke be fooled by such stuff? This preacher had been summoned, most likely by a dream. What importance were dreams? This has been a waste of time, Tyke, Faradin said. Why did you subject me to this? This farce. There is a double price here, my prince, Tygenic said. This interpreter of dreams promised me to deliver Duncan Idaho as an agent of House Corino. All he asked was to meet you and interpret your dream. And Tygenic added to himself. Or so he told Winsitia. 
new doubts assailed the Bashar. Why is my dream so important to you, old man? Brad asked. Your dream tells me that great events move toward a logical conclusion. The preacher said, I must hasten my return. Mocking, Faradin said, And you will remain inscrutable, giving me no advice. Advice, Prince, is a dangerous commodity, but I will venture a few words which you may take as advice, or in any other way which pleases you. By all means, Faradin said. The preacher held his mask, face rigidly confronting Faradin. Governments may rise and fall, for reasons which appear insignificant, Prince. What small event? An argument between two women. Which way the wind blows on a certain day. A sneeze. A cough. The length of a garment or the chance collision of a fleck of sand in a courtier's eye. It is not always the majestic concerns of imperial ministers, which dictate the course of history. Nor is it necessarily the pontifications of priests which move the hands of God. Faradin found himself profoundly stirred by these words. He could not explain his emotion. Tygenic, however, focused on one phrase. Why did this preacher speak of a garment? Tykenik's mind focused on the imperial costumes dispatched to the Atreides twins. The tigers trained to attack? Was this old man voicing a subtle warning? How much did he know? How is this advice? Faradin asked. If you would succeed... Preacher said, You must reduce your strategy to its point of application. Where does one apply strategy? In a particular place and with particular people in mind. But even with the greatest concern for minutiae, some detail with no significance attached to it will escape you. Can your strategy, Prince? be reduced to the ambitions of a regional governor's wife. His voice called. Tygonic interrupted. Why do you harp upon strategy, preacher? What is it you think my prince will have? He is being led to desire a throne. Preacher said. I wish him good luck. But he will need much more than luck. These are dangerous words, Faradin said. How is it you dare such words? Ambitions tend to remain undisturbed by realities. Preacher said, I dare such words because you stand at a crossroad. You could become admirable. But now you are surrounded by those who do not seek moral justifications. By advisors who are strategy-oriented. You are young and strong and tough. 
But you lack a certain advanced training by which your character might evolve. This is sad because you have weaknesses whose dimensions I have described. What do you mean? Tychonic demanded. Have a care when you speak, Varen said. What is this weakness? You've given no thought to the kind of society you might prefer, the preacher said. You do not consider the hopes of your subjects. Even the form of the Imperium which you seek has little shape in your imaginings. He turned his masked face toward Tychonic. Your eyes upon the power, not upon its subtle uses and its perils. Your future is filled, thus, with manifest unknowns, with arguing women, with coughs and windy days. How can you create an epoch when you cannot see every detail? Your tough mind will not serve you. This is where you are weak. Braden studied the old man for a long space. Wondering at the deeper issues implied by such thoughts, at the persistence of such discredited concepts. Morality, social goals, these were myths to put beside belief in an upward movement of evolution. Tychonic said, We've had enough words. What of the price agreed upon, preacher? Duncan Idaho is yours. The preacher said, Have a care how you use him. He is a jewel beyond price. Oh, we've a suitable mission for him. Tychonic said. He glanced at Faradin. By your leave, my prince. Send him backing before I change my mind. Faradin said, then glaring at Tychonic. I don't like the way you've used me, Tyke. Forgive him, Prince, the preacher said. Your faithful Bashar does God's will without even knowing it. Bowing, the preacher departed. Tychonic hurried to see him away. Erdin watched the retreating backs, thought, I must look into this religion which Tyke espouses. He smiled ruefully. What a dream interpreter. But what matter? dream was not an important thing. And he saw a vision of armor. The armor was not his own skin. It was stronger than plasteel. Nothing penetrated his armor. Not knife or poison or sand. Not the dust of the desert or its desiccating heat. In his right hand, he carried the power to make the Coriolis storm, to shake the earth and erode it into nothing. His eyes were fixed upon the golden path, and in his left hand, he carried the scepter of absolute mastery. Beyond the golden path, his eyes looked into eternity, which he knew to be the food of his soul and of its everlasting flesh. 
a year. My brother's dream. From the Book of Ganima. It'd be better for me, never to become emperor. Leto said. Oh, I don't imply that I've made my father's mistake and peered into the future with a glass of spice. I say this thing out of selfishness. My sister and I desperately need a time of freedom when we can learn how to live with what we are. He fell silent, stared questioningly at the Lady Jessica. He'd spoken his piece as he and Ganima had agreed. Now what would be their grandmother's response? Jessica studied her grandson in the low light of glow globes which illuminated her quarters in Sichtbur. It was still early morning, her second day here. She'd already had disturbing reports that the twins had spent a night of vigil outside the siege. What were they doing? She had not slept well. She felt fatigue acids demanding that she come down from the hyper level which had sustained her through all the demanding necessities since that crucial performance at the spaceport. This was the siege of her nightmares. But outside, that was not the desert she remembered. Where have all the flowers come from? And the air around her felt too damp. Still so discipline was lax among the young. What are you, child, that you need time to learn about yourself? She asked. He shook his head gently, knowing it to be a bizarre gesture of adulthood on a child's body, reminded himself that he must keep this woman off balance. First, I'm not a child. Oh. He touched his chest. This is a child's body. No doubt of that, but I am not a child. Jessica chewed her upper lip, disregarding what this betrayed. Her duke, so many years dead on this accursed planet, laughed at her when she did this. Your one unbridled response? He'd called that chewing of the lip. It tells me that you're disturbed, and I must kiss those lips distill their fluttering. Now this grandson bore the name of her duke, shocked her into heart-pounding stillness, merely by smiling and saying, You were disturbed. I see it by the fluttering of those lips. Required the most profound discipline for Bene Gesser training to restore a semblance of calm. She managed do you taunt me? Taunt you? Never. But I must make it clear to you how much we differ. Let me remind you of that siege orgy so long ago when the old Reverend Mother gave you her lives and her memories. She tuned herself to you. Gave you that. A long chain of sausages, each one a person. You have them yet. So you know something of what Ganima and I experience. And Alia? Jessica asked, testing him. Didn't you discuss that with Gani? 
I wish to discuss it with you. Very well. Alia denied what she was. It became that which she most feared. The past, but then cannot be regulated to the unconscious. That is a dangerous course for any human, but for us, who are preborn, it is worse than death. And that is all I will say about Alia. So you're not a child, Jessica said. I'm millions of years old. That requires adjustments which humans have never before been called upon to make. Jessica nodded, calmer now, much more cautious than she'd been with Ganima. And where was Ganima? Why had Lido come here alone? Well, Grandmother, he said, are we abominations? Or are we the hope of the Atreides? Jessica ignored the question. Where is your sister? She distracts Alia to keep us from being disturbed. It is necessary. Fagani would say nothing more to you than I've said. Didn't you observe that yesterday? What I observed yesterday is my affair. What do you prattle about, abomination? Prattle? Don't give me your Bene Gesserit can't, Grandmother. I'll feed it back to you, word for word, right out of your own memories. I want more than the fluttering of your lips. Jessica shook her head, feeling the coldness of this. Person who carried her blood. The resources at his disposal daunted her. She tried to match his tone, asked, What do you know of my intentions? He sniffed. You needn't inquire whether I've made the mistake my father made. I've not looked outside our garden of time, at least not by seeking it out. Give absolute knowledge of the future to those moments of deja vu which any human may experience. I know the trap of prescience. My father's life tells me what I need to know about it. No, grandmother. To know the future absolutely is to be trapped in that future absolutely. It collapses time. Present becomes future. I require more freedom than that. Jessica felt her tongue twitch with unspoken words. How could she respond to him with something he didn't already know? This was monstrous. He's me. He's my beloved Leto. This thought shocked her. Momentarily, she wondered if the childish mask might not lapse into those dear features and resurrect. No. Leto lowered his head, looked upward to study her. Yes, she could be maneuvered after all, he said. When you think of prescience, which I hope is rarely, you're probably no different from any other. Most people imagine how nice it would be to know tomorrow's quotation on the price of whale fur or whether a Harkonnen will once more govern their homeworld of Gede Prime. But of course, we know the Harkonnens without prescience, don't we, Grandmother? She refused to rise to his baiting. Of 
course, you would know about the cursed Harkonnen blood in his ancestry. Who is the Harkonnen? He asked, goading. Who is Beast Raban? Any one of us, I... But I digress. I speak popular myth of prescience. To know the future, absolutely. All of it. What fortunes could be made and lost on such absolute knowledge. Bravo believes this. They believe that if a little bit is good, more must be better. How excellent. If you handed one of them the complete scenario of his life, the unvarying dialogue up to his moment of death, what a hellish gift that'd be. What utter boredom. Every living instant, he'd be replying, but he knew absolutely no deviation. He could anticipate every response, every utterance, over and over and over and over and over. Leto shook his head. Ignorance has its advantages. The universe of surprises is what I pray for. It was a long speech, and as she listened, Jessica marveled at how his mannerisms, his annotations, echoed his father, her lost son. Even the ideas, these were things Paul might have said. You remind me of your father, she said. Is that hurtful to you? In a way. But it's reassuring to know he lives on in you. How little you understand of how he lives on in me. Jessica found his tone flat, but dripping bitterness. She lifted her chin to look directly at him. Or how your duke lives in me, Leto said. Grandmother, Ganima is you. She's you to such an extent that your life holds not a single secret from her. Up to the instant you bore our father. And me? What a catalogue of fleshy records am I. There are moments when it is too much to bear. You come here to judge us. You come here to judge Alia. Better that we judge you. Jessica demanded answer of herself and found none. What was he doing? Why this emphasis on his difference? Did he court rejection? Had he reached Alia's condition? Abomination. This disturbs you, he said. It disturbs me. She permitted herself a futile shrug. Yes, it disturbs me and for reasons you know full well. I'm sure you reviewed my Bene Gesserit training. Ganima admits it. I know Alia did. You know the consequences of your difference. He peered upward at her with disturbing intensity. Almost. You did not take this tack with you, he said. There was a sense of her own fatigue in his voice. We know the fluttering of your lips as your lover knew them. Any bedchamber endearment 
the Duke whispered, czars to recall at will. You've accepted this intellectually, no doubt, but I warn you that intellectual acceptance is not enough. If any of us becomes abomination, it could be you within us who creates it, or my father, or mother, your duke. Any one of you could possess us, and the condition would be the same. Jessica felt a burning in her chest, dampness in her eyes. Lido. She managed, allowing herself to use his name at last. She found the pain less than she'd imagined it would be, forced herself to continue. What is it you want of me? I would teach my grandmother. Teach me what? Last night, Ghani and I played the mother-father roles almost to our destruction. But we learned much. There are things one can know, given an awareness of conditions. Actions can be predicted. All you know. It's well nigh certainly that she's plotting to abduct you. Jessica blinked shocked by the swift accusation. She knew this trick well, had employed it many times. Set a person up along one line of reasoning, then introduced the shocker from another line. She recovered the sharp intake of breath. I know what Alia has been doing, what she is, but grandmother, I pity her. Use your heart as well as your intelligence. You've done that before. You pose a threat, and Alia wants the Imperium for her own. At least the thing she has become wants this. How do I know this isn't another abomination speaking? He shrugged. That's where your heart comes in. Connie and I know how she felt. It isn't easy to adjust to the clamor of that inner multitude. Suppress their egos, and they will come crowding back every time you invoke a memory. One day, he swallowed in a dry throat. A strong one from that inner pack decides it's time to share the flesh. And there's nothing you can do. She asked the question. Although she feared the answer. We believe there is something. Yes. We cannot succumb to the spice. That's paramount. We must not suppress the past eternity. We must use it. Make an amalgam of it. Finally, we will mix them all into ourselves. We will no longer be our original selves. But we will not be possessed. You speak of a plot to abduct me. It's obvious. When Sishia is ambitious for her son, Alia is ambitious for herself and Alia and for Radin. That's not indicated, he said. But Alia and when Sishia run parallel courses right now. When Sishia has a sister in Alia's house, it's simpler thing and a message to, you know, such a message. As though I'd seen it and read its every word. 
but you've not seen such a message. No need. I have only to know that the Atreides are all here together on Arrakis. All of the water in one cistern. He gestured to encompass the planet. Thanks for listening to the Dead Authors Society. Be sure to follow for more content posted several days a week.